Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, in connection with the ascension of our Lord. John 16 is part of what is sometimes called the Upper Room Discourse, the words that our Savior spoke to his disciples during the last Passover that he had with them. And in addition to John 16, before we have the confessional reading from Lord's Day 18, we will also read a passage from Hebrews 7. I realize it's not in the church bulletin, but we'll also read a passage from Hebrews 7. But first, John 16, beginning with verse 5. Our Savior spoke these words. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but... You cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. And then, please turn in Scripture to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7. We'll read the last few verses concerning the high priestly work of our Lord, beginning with verse 23. In this part of scripture, there's a comparison between the priesthood after the order of Levi, the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, and that of our Lord and Savior, who is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Also, there were many priests, because they were prevented from by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since... He always lives to make intercession for them. 
For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son, who has been perfected forever. And then we will turn to the summary of the word of God, as the church has also adopted that. Lord's Day 18 concerning the ascension of our Lord. You can find that in the back of the Psalter, hymnal, page 879. What do you mean by saying... He ascended to heaven. That Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth. But in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't the two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not. Since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere, it is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that has been taken on, but at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. Finally, question 49. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, He is our advocate in heaven, in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. And third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above, where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. Brothers, sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ, Sometimes saying goodbye is not so difficult 
other times, saying goodbye is quite difficult. For example, in the morning, when various members of the family may go their separate ways, someone off to work, others off to school, there may be quick goodbyes. But we know that in the Lord's providence, it'll be but a few short hours and we'll see each other again. See you at supper, we may say. But there are also very different goodbyes in life. Perhaps as children grow up and a son or a daughter goes off to college in another city, province, maybe another country, or when son or daughter is married and maybe they live close by. That is, of course, very nice for parents. But it's not always so. Sometimes, when the two become one, one also leaves the family home and goes to quite a different place, another city, another province, sometimes another country. And in such a situation, when you need to say goodbye, if you've experienced it, you know Otherwise, perhaps you can imagine. When you are going to be separated by thousands of kilometers, and maybe you don't know when's the next time you will see each other, well, don't be surprised if a few tears flow. That's natural. Saying goodbye can be difficult. And perhaps you can then understand why the disciples of our Lord were sad. Our Savior knew this, and so he says in verse 6 of John chapter 16, as you can imagine, they are gathered around the table. And our Lord says to his disciples, Sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus Christ had been speaking about the fact that he was going to soon leave them, depart. They had been so close. They had walked the roads of Palestine together. They had eaten meals together. They had been through difficult times. They had been through joyful times already for some years. But now the Master, the Messiah, the Christ, says soon this is going to stop. I will leave. And yes, he says already at the beginning that he will return. And also here he says a little while, verse 16, and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. But what does that mean, Lord? How long? It's a little while. There is no quick telephone call. There is no Zoom session. The Savior departs. Sorrow fills their hearts. And in a way, brothers and sisters, now that our Savior 
has ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. And the way that we sense and experience time, it seems like a lot longer than a little while. Nevertheless, we can, in our own place, sense a little bit of what the disciples were going through. We are a different time and different position than they, but have you ever had days, brothers and sisters, when reading through perhaps the Gospels, you thought, what would it have been to sit on the grassy hill as our Lord and Savior taught the crowds and multiplied the loaves? What would that have been like to be there with him and he with us, that we could see the Savior, perhaps only some meters away. Or have you ever thought, as you read the Gospels, what would that have been to sit at the feet of his teaching, the parables, or to see the leper cleansed by his power, the mute speak at his command? Somehow we, we, we think to ourselves, to be close, to be together. It's just so much better. And yet, our Lord says, it is for your advantage that I am going away. We think, with our natural reason, it must be less. It must be inferior. He says, it is to your benefit. It is to your advantage. And to receive this, we must walk with the eyes of faith. We must listen with the ears of faith. For logic would say different, but faith embraces. And so the truth that is proclaimed to us from the word of God, the truth which is also summarized in our confession this evening is this, Christ's ascension. A temporary, it is not forever, a temporary but nevertheless a beneficial departure. And we will look at this as it benefits our prayers, as it benefits our assurance of faith, and also as it benefits our life before him, our Christian lifestyle. You know, we should be clear on one basic truth here, and that is, how should we properly answer the question, where is Jesus Christ right now? 7.30 or so on this Sunday evening. Well, we have to be very careful about how we answer that question. And you notice that the Catechism summarizing Scripture is also very careful and even somewhat elaborate in its answer of this question because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is entirely unique as a person. On the one hand, he is true 100% God. And then we have to answer the question, where is he with respect to his divinity? But he's also true 100% man. And so we also have to answer the question, where is he with respect to his humanity? And as the Catechism also draws the truth of Scripture together, we need to have a full answer. Because also after the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even after his resurrection, in his human glorified body. He was either here or there. 
Think about those men who were walking to the village of Emmaus. First of all, when they were walking, Jesus was not walking there with them. He was not there on the road. But scripture says, Luke 24, he came up and then he walked along with him. Then he was there with him along the road. And they implored him and he stayed in their home briefly for a short time. And he broke bread and then the scripture says again, Luke 24 verse 31, that he disappeared from their sight. He was with them with respect to his human nature no more. Also when he ascended, he was there on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, together, physically close. But then he ascended, the clouds hid him from their sight, and then he was with them no more, not with respect to his human nature. But of course he's also God, and therefore the truth of Jeremiah 23 is also applied to him where the prophet says, bringing the message of the Lord, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Am I only here, says God, but not over there? No. Can anyone hide in the secret places so that I cannot see him? You can go into the most secret part of your house. You can find some remote cave somewhere. But you can never say, I'm not where God is. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere, even as he declares, Jeremiah 23, do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And so for our Savior, we always have to answer that question in a very unique way. So far as he is man, he is not here in Bowmanville. He is sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven. But so far as he is God, with his majesty, with his power, with his spirit, he is most certainly here with us, even as he has promised. And of course, when we try to figure that all out, there's a limit to what we can all understand. But our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says to us here, Luke 16, John 16, this is to your advantage. How so? In the first place, brothers and sisters, this brings such a blessing into our life of prayer. It's striking when you speak to God's people and you, you get past the, the weather and How's the family? And you get to the deeper things of life. And if at a certain point you are speaking to a fellow Christian about their prayer life, rarely is a child of God satisfied with his or her prayer life. If they are, they should probably think again. Consider your own prayer life, my brother, my sister. Isn't there so much that's lacking? Do we pray for all that we ought to pray for? No. 
Do we pray with consistently the sincerity, the depth of heart to the Lord our God? No. Do we sometimes pray where actually the sinful nature, be it some bitterness, some anger, is yet churning within us? Do we at times avoid prayer because of guilt over this sin or that sin? And we could go on, but of all the areas of our life in which our weakness, our frailty, our sinfulness, including our stubbornness and our, and our lack of just being open about our sins before the Lord, the inner room, brothers and sisters, the prayer room, as it were, is not free at all from our sinful nature. In fact, in that intimate moment with the Father, when we fold our hands, when we close our eyes, when we speak to the Father, oh, how we would wish, could the sinful nature please just stop for these few moments, 10 minutes, 15, whatever the... Could the sinful nature just take a break? <clears throat> While we speak to Father, Abba? But it doesn't. It simply doesn't. And this is then why the ascension of our Lord and his sitting at the right hand of the Father also as Hebrews 7 our high priest is such a comfort, such an advantage. For let's now turn again to Hebrews chapter 7. And you see what it says there. Sometimes the words just leap off the page again. Where it says, He, the Christ, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek, verse 25, always lives to make intercession for them. We have that expression, eh? What does someone live for? What's their passion? What's their devotion? What do they sink their time and their energy into? When you ask that about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he lives always to intercede for your, for my prayers. Because this high priest knows that our prayers are incomplete. This high priest knows our prayers are not always sincere like they should be. This high priest understands fully that mixed in with piety is impiety. Mixed in with faith and devotion is stubbornness and bitterness. And yet he gathers up as it were, through his spirit reaching down from heaven on high to gather up our incomplete, our insincere, our sin-stained prayers, and they are all purified. They are all perfected as they are brought over to the Father. When you close your eyes to pray, that is something to be very thankful for. And it was already foreshadowed in the Old Covenant. 
For here, although the high priest after the order of Melchizedek is so much greater than the Old Testament high priests, yet there is one thing that is pulled through, and that is the line of sacrifice. Oh, the, the Old Testament priests, they had to sacrifice. The next day they had to sacrifice again, and it was always purify, purify, purify. More blood, more blood, more blood, because of more sins, more sins, their own sins, the sins of the people. Christ's sacrifice was once for all. But there's a little detail about the sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament that we need to bring through to the new. Leviticus chapter 16, speaking about that high feast day of the atonement. And then we read in verse 12 of the Lord's instructions for the atonement day. Then he, the high priest, Aaron and his sons, shall take a censer. That's a plate, like an like a iron a metal bowl with a long handle. Take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. And then, with his hands, the sweet-smelling incense, the spices. And he took the censer, the high priest, and once a year he went before the very presence of the Lord and he put the incense on the burning coals and the smoke went up to represent the prayers going up before the Lord. But where did the fire come from, brothers and sisters? Where did the coals come from? The bronze altar. The altar where the sin offerings and the guilt offerings and the whole burnt offerings representing a life dedicated to the Lord. There was no incense that was offered up representing our prayers that was not based in the sacrifice that was offered on the big bronze altar. That was the work of the priest after the order of Aaron. The high priest after the order of Melchizedek went not to a bronze altar. He went, and he went once, to a wooden altar, the cross. And that sacrifice is the basis, brothers and sisters, for the purification and the perfection and the cleansing and the completion of every single prayer that you offer up. When you feel guilty, when you feel, oh, how is it that I, a child of God, don't pray more frequently, don't pray more sincerely, don't pray more purely. And remember, your Lord ascended up on high so that he might not only forgive your sins, but also perfect your prayers. That's the way to fold your hands. That's the way to close your eyes. That's the way to go to the inner room and kneel before your God in the assurance you have an intercessor. You have an advocate. And he's in the right place at the Father's right hand. That's one benefit for our prayers. But there's also another benefit. And that is for the assurance of our faith. Did you notice how the catechism 
when it explains that second benefit, uses the language of head and members, or parts of the body. So you could even say head and body with all of its members. Christ the head, we the church, the members. The bridegroom, Ephesians chapter 5, he's the bridegroom, the head. We are the bride, the body, members individually of it. And it is this scriptural language that the catechism picks up with, especially here concerning the ascension of our Lord. Jesus Christ went from the Mount of Olives to the right hand of the Father. But as Jesus Christ went up, our head went up on high. Where the head goes, the body must surely follow. That is the way God designs things to be. Look even at your own physical body. It is really quite straightforward, brothers and sisters. If you lift your head, your body will follow. If you move your head to the right, your body will follow. If you put your head down, your body will go down. That's the way God designed it. And now, in a far greater, grander, glorious way, as our head goes up, Jesus Christ, he also gives us the assurance that we, the members of his body, will also follow. Not immediately, but one day. Even as the Lord said in John chapter 14, a little bit earlier in the upper room discourse, I am going away. You are filled with trouble and sorrow right now, but be assured, I go as your head up to heaven to what? To prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. You, the members, must follow in due course and come where I am. In the ups and downs of life, in the valleys of our pilgrimage, we all have questions. Please, brothers and sisters, don't think that if you have questions, if sometimes you struggle with assurance of salvation and faith, that somehow you're a different Christian. You read through the Canons of Dort once and see how many times that confession speaks about assurance. Why? Because we all struggle because of sin. It's not that the Lord's promises aren't true. All of his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. The problem's not with God. The problem's with us. And because of the weakness of our faith, because of that, 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 that old nature within us, questions come up. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we don't want to talk to anybody about it because we're embarrassed. And we think all the other members here, they're probably strong in their faith and they just look forward to going on to glory. I've sat with seasoned Christians, children of God, growing up in the covenant. And in their 80s, they've said, Pastor, I have my doubts. I have my questions. I know I shouldn't. 
but I do. Sometimes they've been living with it for decades, too embarrassed to tell anyone, sometimes don't even share it with their own spouse. It's reality, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I'm going away. I'm leaving. I go to the right hand of the Father. But we connect the scriptures together. He who went up is our Redeemer. He is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he is also by grace our head. Where the head goes, the body will follow. Where the bridegroom goes, the bride must also come along for the two, by God's power, are made one. This is the way that he has made it to be. And so when you have your questions, when you have your doubts, think on this. Consider this. Pray with this in your mind. O Lord, Father in heaven, remind me of just who it is sitting at your right hand. Remind me also in my heart of the close connection through the power of the Spirit that he has also with me. A small, humble, frail, but yet beloved member of his body. And this then also leads through the power of the Spirit to a transformation of lifestyle. Because brothers and sisters, that's the last thing that's highlighted in the Lord's Day. But this is what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about so powerfully in John 16. He said, I'm going away, but I send you someone in my place. The Spirit of Truth, the Helper, Counselor, And he's going to come, and he has come, Pentecost Day, and he is going to do three things. He's going to speak, and he will convict, says the Lord Jesus Christ, the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is what the world needs to hear. This is also what the church needs to be reminded of. We know it to be true, but oh, we need our reminders. Of sin, says the Christ, because they don't believe in me. That's what the world, Jesus came, and they rejected, they ignored, wanted nothing to do with him, even from among God's covenant people. And so the Lord sends the Spirit to convict people in their hearts, that this is the one in whom you must believe. Because there is no salvation in anyone else. What is the world doing? And what, brothers and sisters, if we're honest, are we still sometimes inclined to do? We have it in our heads. If we just do what's good. If we just do what's right. People must like us. And God must accept us. But we don't get it. 
Sin is so deep. Sin is so offensive to the Lord. It's not a matter of just pull yourself up by the socks. Do better tomorrow. That will never work. The Spirit comes to convict us and indeed the world concerning sin. Believe in the Christ. That is the only way to be saved. For it is only in him that the next one, righteousness, true righteousness, is found. Because as our Lord says, I go to the Father. Psalm 15. Who will ascend the hill of God? Who will come into the presence of God? You know, to come into the presence of our recently deceased queen, or now King Charles, you don't just walk in before the king. It's all protocols. It's all permissions. Well, what about before the king of kings? You don't just walk into his courtroom, into his presence. Psalm 15 He who has a clean heart, he who has a clean tongue, he who does not mistreat other people, he who honors his promises. And so the list goes on. And the longer you sing Psalm 15, you say, That's not me, that's not me, that's not me. Indeed. But it is the Christ. He goes before the Father. The heavens opened up and welcomed him, brothers and sisters. He ascended and the clouds said, we will be there to lift him to the Father's right hand. He's the one who has fulfilled all the requirements to enter God's holy throne. And he did it not for himself, but for you. Believe on him. And finally, the Spirit has been poured out to convince the world, but to also remind the church of judgment. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Revelation chapter 12. As the Christ, the Son ascended, guess who was cast out? And Satan fell. Satan was cast out of heaven. Never to come again before the presence of God and accuse you or accuse me, like he accused Job, our brother of old. Satan can't do that anymore. Satan has no access to the courtroom presence of God. He's stuck down here on the way to final judgment day. And oh yes, like a roaring lion, he seeks to do as much damage as he can. But he's not on the throne of heaven. Because of the ascension of our Lord, brothers and sisters, he can't even get in the door anymore. He's judged. It's only a matter of time. And so our arch enemy, fierce and cunning as he may be, the Spirit declares it. He's conquered. He's already in principle defeated. It's just a matter of time before he's cast out into the outer darkness, locked up there forever and ever.
Christ ascended on high. Disciples' hearts were filled with sorrow. Our Savior, in his human nature, is not here with us right now. That will change when he comes on the clouds of heaven. But in the meantime, brothers and sisters, be assured, every single day, your ascended Lord is working for us in his grace, interceding for your prayers, assuring and building up your faith, and protecting you from all the wiles of the defeated devil. Amen.